Chapter One of Herb of Grace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Eastman. Herb of Grace by Rosa Nuchette Carey. Chapter One introduces a lover of the picturesque. Our adventures hover round us, like bees round the hive when preparing to swarm. Maeterlinck From boyhood, Malcolm Herrick had been a lover of the picturesque. In secret he prided himself on possessing the artistic faculty, and yet, except in the nursery, he had never drawn a line, or later on spoiled canvas and daubed himself in oils under the idea that he was an embryo Millet or Turner. But nevertheless he had the seeing eye, and could find beauty where more prosaic people could only see barrenness. A stubble field, newly turned up by the plough, moved him to admiration, while a Surrey lane, with a gate swinging back on its hinges, and a bowed old man carrying faggots in the smoky light of an October evening, gave him a feeling akin to ecstasy. More than one of his schoolfellows remembered how, even in the cricket field, he would stand as though transfixed, looking at the storm clouds with their steely edges coming up behind the copse. But the palms of his hands were outstretched, and he never failed to catch the ball. Nature intended me for an artist or a poet, Malcolm would say, for he was given at times to a hard, merciless introspection when he took himself and his motives to pieces. But circumstances have called me to the bar. To be sure, I have never held a brief, and my tastes are purely literary, but all the same, I am a member of the legal profession. Malcolm Herrick used his Englishman's right of grumbling to a large extent. With a sort of bitter and acrid humility, he would accuse himself of having missed his vocation and his rightful heritage, of being neither fish, flesh, nor good red herring. Nevertheless, his post for the last two years had pleased him well. He was connected with a certain large literary society, which gave his legal wits plenty of scope. In his leisure hours he wrote moderately well-expressed papers on all sorts of social subjects, with a pithy raciness and command of language that excited a good deal of comment. Herrick was a clever fellow, people said. He would make his mark when he was older and had got rid of his cranks. But all the same he was not understood by the youth of his generation. The fossil, as they called him at Lincoln, was hardly modern enough for their taste. He was a survival of the medieval age. He took life too gravely, and gave himself the airs of a patriarch. In person he was a thin spare man, somewhat sallow, and with dark melancholy eyes that were full of intelligence. When he smiled, which he did more rarely than most people, he looked at least ten years younger. In reality he was nearly thirty, but he never measured his age by years. I have not had my innings yet, he would say. I am going to renew my youth presently. I mean to have my harvest of good things like other fellows, and eat, drink, and be merry. But from all appearance, the time had not come yet. 
Malcolm Herrick's chambers were in Lincoln's Inn. Thither he was turning his footsteps one sultry July afternoon, when as usual he paused at a certain point, while a smile of pleasure stole to his lips. Familiarity had not yet dulled the edge of his enjoyment. Now, as ever, it soothed and tranquilized him to turn from the noisy crowded streets into this quiet spot, with its grey old buildings, its patch of grass, and the broad wide steps up and down which men, hurrying silently, passed and repassed, intent on the day's work. As usual at this hour, the flagged court was crowded by pigeons, strutting fearlessly between the feet of the passers-by, and filling the air with their soft cooing voices. "'Ah, my friend the cobbler,' he said to himself, and he moved a little nearer to watch the pretty sight. A child's perambulator, a very shabby rickety concern, had been pushed against the fence, and its occupant, a girl, evidently a cripple, was throwing corn to the eager-winged creatures. Two or three, more fearless than the others, had flown onto the perambulator, and were pecking out of the child's hands. Presently she caught one and hugged it to her thin little bosom. "'Oh, Dad, look here! Oh, Daddy, see! Its dear little head is all green and purple. I want to kiss it. I do. I love it so!' "'Better put it down, Kit. The poor thing is scared,' returned the man, and the child reluctantly let it fly. It made straight for the distant roofs behind them, but the rest of the pigeons still strutted and pecked round the perambulator with tiny mincing steps, like court ladies practicing the minuet. Malcolm looked on with unabated relish. The homely idyll always charmed him. He had never spoken to the crippled child or her father, although they had often crossed his path at this hour. Nevertheless, he regarded them as old friends. More than once he had made up his mind to accost them, but he was reserved by nature, and it cost him an effort to take the initiative. In his case, silence was always golden. In his own cynical language, he refused to tout for a cheap popularity by saying pleasant things to strangers. They were not an attractive pair. The cobbler was a thin, meager little man, with a round back, bow legs, a sharp pinched face, and pale blue eyes that seemed to look dejectedly at life. The child was the image of her father, only in her case the defects were more accentuated. Her face was still more pinched and absolutely colorless, and the large blue-gray eyes were out of proportion to the other features. A fringe of red hair, curled very stiffly, and sat round the small face like a large frill, gave her a curiously weird look. Some woman's hand must have curled it, and tied the wide, limp bows of her sunbonnet under the sharp little chin. Neither of them seemed to notice Malcolm Herrick's scrutiny. They were so absorbed by the pigeons. But the scanty supply of corn had soon been scattered, and the guests were flying off by twos and threes. "'Oh, see, Dad!' exclaimed the child in her shrill little voice. "'Oh, my! Ain't it heavenly to cut capers like that in the air? It is like the merry-go-rounds at the fair!' And then Kit clapped her hands as another pretty creature, 
rose softly and fluttered away in the distance. The air had been growing more sultry and oppressive every moment. A heavy storm was evidently gathering. Already a few heat-drops had fallen. Malcolm was a man who noticed details. He perceived at once that the ragged cover of the perambulator offered a flimsy and insufficient protection. Then he glanced at the umbrella in his hand. It was a dandified article, with a handsomely carved handle. The two voices that usually wrangled within his breast for the mastery made themselves heard. "'It is perfectly impossible for you to offer the umbrella that Anna gave you to that brat,' murmured Common Sense. "'Very likely her father would pawn it for gin.' "'But the child looks ill,' remonstrated Impulse. "'Anna would be sure to think of the poor mite first. But it was doubtful which voice would have prevailed, but for a chance word. "'Oh, Dad, there is a big drop. It quite splashed my face. Ma'am said the rain would drown us.' Then the man, whose wits had been wool-gathering, looked up in alarm, and began fumbling with Kit's shawl. "'Dear sakes,' he muttered, "'who would have thought it? But it is just my luck. You will be drenched before I get you in, Kit, and ma'am will scold us for the rest of the day. "'Will you take this umbrella for the child, my good man?' observed Malcolm pleasantly. "'I am close to my chambers. You can let me have it back to-morrow morning.' Then, as the man regarded him in dazed astonishment, he gave him his address. "'Perhaps you may as well let me know your name,' he continued. "'Caleb Marden, sir,' replied the cobbler and we live in Todmorden's Lane, leading out of Busham Street. It is Mr. Bennett's the bootmaker, and I works for him and lives in the basement, long of wife and kit. Busham Street. Oh, yes, I know. Then you had better get the child home. He nodded and smiled at Kit as he moved away. Caleb gazed after him with open mouth and pale eyes full of speechless gratitude. But Kit had unfurled the umbrella proudly, and sat like a queen in a silken tent. "'Ain't he a gentleman?' she exclaimed with a joyous chuckle. "'Seems to me the angels must be his sort. Wasn't he just splendid, Dad?' But Caleb, who was trundling the perambulator down a side street, only shook his head in silence. Malcolm felt a warm glow of exhilaration, which secretly moved him to astonishment as he ran lightly up the long, bare flight of steps to his chambers. "'A mere trifle like that,' he said to himself contemptuously, as he entered the outer room, where a small and exceedingly sharp office-boy, rejoicing in the euphonious name of Malachi Murphy, beguiled the tedium of the waiting hours by cutting the initials of his family on the legs of the table. When Malcolm wanted to amuse a friendly visitor, he would question Malachi blandly and innocently on his brother's and sister's names. "'You are all minor prophets,' he would say carelessly. "'I think Mr. So-and-so would be interested to hear how you came by these names.' And thus encouraged, Malachi would twist his face knowingly until it resembled a gargoyle rather than a human face, and start away as though he had been wound up afresh. "'Well, it was like this, sir.' Father was just reading Hosea on Sunday evening, when Mother took bad, and so they made up their minds that they would call my eldest brother Hosea. 
The next one was Joel, because father liked the name. And by and by mother put in her word for Amos. Obadiah only lived five weeks, and the next was a girl, and they called her Micah. Father wouldn't have none of us christened Jonah, because he said he was real mean. But we had Nahum, and Habakkuk Zephaniah, and Haggai Zechariah, and when my time came there was nothing left but Malachi, and father said we had better finish the job, and so Malachi I was. It is a blessing, continued Malachi frankly, that Habakkuk Zephaniah and Haggai Zechariah died when they were babies, for none of us would have known what to call them. As it is, I am mostly called Mealy Murphy down my way. "'There's a gentleman waiting to see you, sir,' observed Malachi, dropping his clasp-knife dexterously into the waste-paper basket. "'Wouldn't give his name. Seems in a mighty hurry by the way he has been walking all over the shop,' he continued, sotto voce, as he dipped his pen into the ink again. I wonder what the governor would say if he had heard him whistling like a penny steamer and playing old Sally with the pen-wipers and sealing-wax. A lively sort of bloke as ever I see. Malcolm walked rapidly to the door and opened it. As he did so, a look of surprise and pleasure crossed his face at the sight of a handsome fair-haired youth lying back on his easy-chair with his feet resting on a pile of ledgers. "'Hello, Cedric!' he exclaimed in a cordial tone. "'What on earth has brought you up to town on the hottest day of the year? "'No, stay where you are!' as his visitor attempted to rise, and Malcolm put his hands lightly on the boy's shoulders, pressing him gently back against the cushions. "'I never sit there myself unless I am lazy.' "'All right, old chap,' returned the other easily. "'I didn't want to move. Only manners maketh man.' I always was the pink of courtesy and politeness, don't you know? Ask old Dinah, and she will tell you. Oh, yes, we all know that, returned Malcolm dryly. Now, will you answer my question? What brings you up to Lincoln's Inn in this unexpected manner? Keep cool, old fellow, and take a seat, and I will tell you, returned the lad in a patronizing tone. You see, I am staying at Teddington. Fred Courtenay was spliced yesterday, and I had promised to be at the show. "'Oh, I forgot Courtenay was to be married yesterday,' muttered Malcolm. "'It went off all right,' continued Cedric. "'No one forbade the bands, and the happy couple drove away, with half a dozen satin slippers reposing on the roof of the carriage. But now the business is over, it is a trifle dull.' Fred's sisters are all in the schoolroom, you know, so I told Mrs. Courtenay that I had a pressing engagement in town. Oh, I begin to see light. I did some shopping in the Strand, and then I thought I would look you up in your grimy old diggings. My word, we are going to have a storm, Herrick, as a flash of lightning lit up the dark room. Yes, but it will soon be over, and you are in no hurry to catch your train. No, you are right there. The house is all in a muddle from the wedding, and we are to have a sort of nondescript meal at eight. Herrick, old fellow, I want you to put me up for a couple of nights. You are coming down to Staplegrove on Tuesday, so I told Dinah that we might as well travel together. Does your sister really expect me? asked Malcolm dubiously. My dear boy, as Cedric grew rather red and pulled his budding moustache in an affronted manner, 
I know you were good enough to invite me, but I understood from you that your sisters were the owners of the wood-house, and as I have not yet made their acquaintance. Hang it all, Herrick! I suppose a fellow can see his friends sometimes, even if he is dependent on his sisters. And Cedric's tone was decidedly sulky. Besides, Dinah sent you a message. She and Elizabeth will be delighted to see you, and all that sort of thing, and they hoped you would stay as long as possible. I am glad you told me that, returned Malcolm with a relieved air. In reality, he had been secretly much embarrassed by Cedric's invitation. You know, my dear fellow, how pleased I am to be introduced to your people, and it is most kind of Miss Templeton to send me that message. Oh, Dinah is a good old sort, returned the lad carelessly. The cloud had vanished from his face. Well, Herrick, what do you say about putting me up? There are two or three things I want to do in town, and it is a bore staying on at the Briars now old Fred has gone. When do you want to come to me? asked Malcolm. I am to sleep at Queen's Gate the next two nights, and I have promised to take Miss Sheldon out tomorrow. She is my mother's adopted daughter, you know, Anna Sheldon. I have often mentioned her to you. Then Cedric nodded. I shall be back at Chelsea on Friday, if you like to come to me then. But the guest-chamber is remarkably small. At present it holds all my lumber and little else. But as Cedric professed himself indifferent on the subject of his own comfort, an assertion that drew a covert smile from his friend's lips, the matter was soon settled. An animated conversation ensued, consisting mainly of a disjointed monologue on Cedric's part, for Malcolm Herrick only contributed a laconic remark or question at intervals. But there was a kindly gleam in his eyes as he listened, as though the fair, closely-cropped head lying back on the shabby cushion, with the eager, bright young face, was a goodly spectacle. At first sight, the friendship between these two men seemed singularly ill-assorted, for what possible affinity could there be between a thoughtful, intellectual man like Malcolm Herrick, with his habitual reserve, his nature refined, critical, and yet imaginative, with its strong bias to pessimism and its intolerance of all shams, and Cedric, with his facile, pleasure-loving temperament, at once indolent and mercurial, a creature of moods and tenses, as fiery as a Welshman, but full of lovable and generous impulses. The disparity between their ages also seemed to forbid anything like equality of sympathy. Malcolm was at least eight or nine years older, and at times he seemed middle-aged in Cedric's eyes. "'He is such a regular old fossil,' he would say, "'such a cut-and-dried specimen of humanity that it is impossible to keep in touch with him. It stands to reason that we must clash a bit. But there, in spite of his cranks, Herrick is a good fellow.' But notwithstanding this faint praise, the inhabitants of the wood-house knew well that there was no one whom Cedric valued more than his friend Malcolm Herrick. End of chapter 1